Thanks so much for joining for another episode of Run the List, a medical education podcast designed by Dr. Naveen Kumar, an attending gastroenterologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Emily Gutowski, a Harvard medical student planning on going into internal medicine, and Dr. Walker Red, myself, an internal medicine resident here at Brigham and Women's Hospital. As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be understood as medical advice under any circumstances. Welcome back, friends, to Run the List. For our listeners who have been tuning in each week for a new RTL podcast, you know that we are in the midst of our endocrinology block, and having finished hypercalcemia, our next planned topic was logically hypocalcemia. However, something terrible happened last week in the senseless killing of George Floyd, and it has deeply impacted us all. Rather than carry on business as usual, we are taking a break from our regularly scheduled content to discuss the topic of health inequities with an expert in the area. We understand that we cannot do the field of health disparities justice in a 20-minute podcast, but hope to impart some key principles that will help us medical providers take care of our patients, our communities, and each other. And we pledge to continue dedicating podcast episodes to this incredibly important topic as we move forward, because this is something we should all be talking about and learning about every day, not just when tragedy arises. With that said, I'm so grateful to introduce Dr. Utibe Essien as our expert discussing today. Dr. Essien is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. He completed his internal medicine residency training in a general internal medicine fellowship at the Massachusetts General Hospital, as well as earned his MPH at the Harvard School of Public Health. He is also an absolute force on social media, and I highly encourage you to follow his Twitter handle at URSien, which we will link to this episode. Dr. Essien, thank you so much for joining us today. We are privileged to have you and deeply appreciate you taking the time to cover this incredibly important topic. Thanks so much for having me, Naveen. I appreciate it. All right. So let's go ahead and run the list. Dr. Essien, can you tell us about the discipline of health disparities and how you became interested in this area? Certainly. So, you know, the discipline goes goes way back over the last few months, kind of thinking about our current health crisis. I've been looking back in the history, so to speak. And I think one of the first times that this idea that there were differences in health by the races, disparities in health, goes all the way back to the late 1800s. So in 1899, W.E.B. Du Bois, world-renowned Black sociologist, in his book, The Philadelphia Negro, actually first described a higher level of poor health in Black Americans during those times. And he really noted that several of the differences in social advantages and living conditions and health were all interrelated. In a way, he's almost like the first social determinants of health observer. Fast forward nearly 100 years into 1985, and the director of the Department of Health and Human Services published the Heckler Report, the year that I was born, that described the disparities that accounted for nearly 60,000 excess deaths per year in our country. And this was the first time that a um, national political force decided to create an office of minority health here in our nation. And fast forward about 17 years after that, in 2002, this kind of landmark report and book called Unequal Treatment, which was put out by the then known the Institute of Medicine, came out and again, really described the pervasive and persistent disparities that whether you're looking back in the 1800s, like we mentioned, or to mid 1980s, all the way into the 2000s continue to persist and are still persisting here 18 years after that report. 
for me, my my interest in the field of health disparities really spurned from my life. I often state that I was born into a life of health disparities. My mom was here alone in the U.S., an immigrant from West Africa. My dad was still back in Nigeria trying to figure out his visa and paperwork. And she went in for her routine clinical visit uh, about seven months pregnant or so. And her physicians noted that she was quite hypertensive, told her about this condition referred to as preeclampsia, and told her that she couldn't wait any longer, that I had to be delivered that day. And a few hours later, her and I were in the operating room, and I was born via C-section as a preterm child to a preeclamptic mother. All of these conditions far more common in Black women than their white counterparts. And so again, fast forward over 30 years later, I'm practicing in medicine and really seeing the differences that that exist in people that look like me, the differences that lecturers continue to put up on the slides all throughout medical school. And I continued to bear out when I reached awards and as a medical student, as well as as a resident. And at that time, just really decided that I wanted to try and make a difference through both my clinical work, but more importantly, through my research and trying to stamp out these disparities that year after year just continue to persist. Wow, Dr. Essington, you took us so nicely through the history of this discipline, but then also how personal this issue is for you and how you've overcome. And we're all just so lucky again to have you on this podcast to discuss this topic. Can you tell us why it's important for medical professionals just in general to have a deeper understanding of health inequities and the social determinants of health? Like, How can that knowledge help us help our patients? Yeah, I think that's such an important question. And, you know, in this current moment in the COVID-19 global pandemic in particular, it's just completely opened our eyes, laid bare, exposed the structural inequities that exist within our health system. You know, I've been thinking about the COVID-19 pandemic in these buckets of risk of infection, access to care, and the the post-COVID world. And I think across each of those buckets, you see how structural inequities, social determinants, like you mentioned, kind of play out in a role. They play out as drivers of the clinical risk factors that put a Black individual at three times the likelihood of dying from this current infection compared to a white American. The hypertension, the diabetes, the obesity that are responsible for so much morbidity from this disease are a factor of where an individual lives, whether they are uh, food secure or they live and reside in a food desert whether they have access to housing support, whether they are employed and can access insurance, which in turn allows you to access health care. Poverty influences the way that we think about our patients' ability to care for themselves, to, to eat healthily, and to be able to afford a better life. And even further, the social drivers of this current crisis are being laid bare in the homeless populations and the prison populations, both of which happen to be more likely African-American in our country, um, playing out in un- undocumented immigrant populations. I think we've seen kind of the news reports and national discussions around those who are deemed as essential workers over these last two and a half months of the crisis and how people, individuals of color or from lower income groups are more likely to be working, whether it's in the hospitals or food delivery, environmental services, all these roles that continue to move on and potentially put themselves at higher risk. And again, I know that I'm, I'm highlighting the COVID-19 pandemic, which I think is such a critical part of our national conversation 
conversation and healthcare to conversation right now, but these are drivers that continued way before the healthcare crisis and or the COVID-19 crisis rather. These are the drivers that those of us who are in the field of disparities knew were going to put certain populations at higher risk right now. And I just think this disease really offers the opportunity to remind us just how and why thinking about health inequities is so important and how all of those factors can really influence a patient's care. You know, who can go home and actually social distance for 14 days when they're discharged from the hospital with a COVID-19 infection? Who has the ability to ask their doctor about their symptoms like so many public health officials are advising us to do right now? Thinking about these factors in a more thoughtful way is really critical to both the current moment and the post-COVID era as well. It makes so much sense, Dr. Essien. I mean, I remember being a medical student and I, you know, really spent a lot of time trying to learn the physiology, the pharmacology, the pathophysiology. But without having this deeper understanding of everything you just explained, we really can't provide the level of care that will truly help our patients. So so what are ways in which current medical schools, residency programs, medical educators like ourselves, what can we do to help foster an environment that not only teaches the important concepts of health disparities, but also encourages open discussion of these issues? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. Right now, we're in a moment where we can continue to go about business as usual, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast. You know, there are plenty of educators right now, whether in medicine and law and in undergraduate campuses or high schools who are continuing their regular programming. You know, they're they're teaching to that next test. They're teaching to that next part of the curriculum. But taking a moment to take a step back and say, okay, what is happening in our society? What's happening in our world? And how is it not only influencing the trainees, the mentees that we work with, but for us as health providers, influencing our patients' lives as well? I think back to starting med school nearly 11 years ago now or so, and the only exposure that I had to thinking about health disparities or social determinants of health was in a two-week elective that my medical school had at that time by the attending who convinced me to go into internal medicine. So ever grateful for Dr. Gonzalez back at Einstein, but she that was the only exposure that we had. And fast forward 11 years later, me and my colleagues here at the University of Pittsburgh are thinking about the same thing. We're thinking about how can we incorporate a two-week elective into our school's four year medical curriculum. And it has to be so much more than that. Like you mentioned, alongside the pathophysiology of the anatomy and and the biochemistry of our patients' illnesses comes these social factors that really drive their care to me, maybe even more so than some of these nuanced biomedical pathways that we learn and so deeply study during medical school. So I think just having the system level approach to ensuring that our education includes these factors, that these aren't electives, that these aren't kind of one-offs, one-and-dones, moments of crisis learning opportunities, but that these are such a big part of our medical education. And, you know, I I will defer some of the medical education aspects of the first and second year to my colleagues who help influence that process. But as an attending who's on the wards, working with third-year medical students, working with sub-interns, and working with residents, I think using my voice to be able to call out these issues that a patient who is coming in with housing insecurity and who's struggling to take care of their diabetes and hypertension, we're not just going to 
up their um, Lasix dose or up their ACE inhibitor. We're actually going to think about how we can figure out their housing situation. How can we help provide a food support for those who have that need? And really thinking about the social structures that are driving our patients' admissions, presentations, et cetera, beyond just the clinical presentation. I love that. I love that you have that voice for your patients, for your residents and medical students on the wards. And I think that's exactly it, that we we cannot have these one-offs about social determinants of health, but it should truly be integrated into the preclinical and clinical curriculum so that it gets the time that it deserves so that we can actually learn about this discipline to help our patients. So, so thank you for sharing that, Dr. Lassian. For sure. You know, in, in light of George Floyd's tragic death, amongst many, many others who have been so tragically impacted by structural racism, I wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of us want to step up. And by us, I mean those of us in the medical community. But do you have any recommendations or advice on how we can respond and make an impact? Yeah, I appreciate, again, kind of the the note that you had, Naveen, in terms of switching from the regular scheduled programming to really highlighting what's been brewing in our country over the last three months. I mean, we first just had this pandemic situation that shut down the entire country. You know, folks are sheltering in place, working from home. Vacations are canceled. Schools closed. There's been so much just emotional and social strife over the last three months. And then to add on the murder of George Floyd last week really, really struck our communities of color. As a Black man, it personally has affected me. It's affected my two brothers, my sister, my mom, um, everyone in, in my life, my colleagues and friends who are, are from those same communities as well. And I think, as you've noted, it's not just affected communities of color, but it's affected everyone. It's health professionals who are working with Black patients, who have Black residents or medical students that they're working with or training. And so I think just taking a step back in a moment to realize that we can't go about as business as usual and that we do need to think about how we can thoughtfully use this moment to change the systems that we're in and for us, change our health system. I think so. I'll break it into kind of short term and long term goals in terms of thinking about the response the medical community can make. I think the first short term strategy is really listening to your colleagues, your friends, your peers at this time. Everyone is processing this moment differently. Many of us are hurting and we are expressing that in different ways. Some of us are able to vocalize and really get all our feelings out there in, in the open. Others are a little more to themselves and internalizing these moments, but really taking the time and opportunity, just as we learned during medical school, to listen. I would encourage us to also educate yourself is kind of my second goal. There's so many books out right now to be able to help folks think about these issues and allow us to learn how to really be adept at addressing this moment. You know, there's Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's book on how to be an anti-racist. There's another book out about white fragility. And these aren't medical books. These aren't books that come off the shelves of typical medical school curricula. But these are books that we do need to take the time to read, to do some hard work and challenging work, pushing some of our, our typical knowledge base out the window a little bit and really think about how we can both stand in a gap for our peers, but also more importantly, thinking beyond to our patients as well. 
long term, I really think we need to push our leaders to do more. You know, having the ability to transform our healthcare systems in this moment is not going to be done just by a few physicians of color going out and speaking the, their truths. We need our presidents, our CEOs, our division chiefs, department chairs, deans. We need these folks to be out in front of this conversation. And if that means putting more individuals of color in these roles, I think that that's important as well to really diversify our workforce, to be able to have the voices at the front who can be agile in leading hard discussions about moments like these. And lastly, I think it's just about the response. Having the medical schools from across the country, having health systems put out messages of support in this moment has been powerful. And those who haven't put out such messages, that's been very clear and very obvious as well. And so I think whatever way that we feel comfortable enough with responding, knowing that this moment is not a political moment, but it's a human moment, is important for us to think about. And as physicians, our voice is so powerful. I, I think that's the, the biggest thing that I learned during my training. These episodes are tragically not new. Um, five years ago when I was a resident is when Eric Gardner was the first to say those last dying words, I can't breathe. And here we are five years later looking for a new crop of students, residents, faculty members to really call out this message. And I think that that's going to be important. Wow. I mean, that, that really hits home. So I, I love these tangible things that we can do. We got to listen. We got to push ourselves to educate ourselves on these issues. And we need to push our leaders and make sure our institutions are making responses that, that fit with the ways that we would like our patients, our colleagues, our trainees to be treated. Um, Dr. Essien, just, just as we conclude, I think you've already touched on this so well, but if you have any more tangible advice about how we can make sure, you know, when we're, when we're meeting a patient for the first time or even a longitudinal patient, how can we make sure that they know that we care? And similarly, how can we make sure that our colleagues, trainees, our students can make sure that we, that we care? Yeah. So I, I think that just that knowledge is going to be huge. You know, so much of the last two and a half months conversations that I've had have been, well, maybe it's that communities of color just don't trust the health system. They don't trust public health officials. They don't trust the government. That's why people aren't necessarily social distancing, aren't wearing face coverings, don't know whether or not they should come into the hospitals. And that's what's worsening the health disparities. And I think part of that trust is knowing that our healthcare communities, our physician colleagues care about these communities. I think hearing the voices of so many calling out this moment has been powerful for me. And I think our patients are seeing this for practical steps when you're in your patient's room this weekend on, on rounds when you're doing that virtual visit with your patient, ask them how they're doing. I think all of us have been trained to do that, but the busyness of our schedules and of our everyday lives have been so overwhelming and make it so challenging to just take that deep breath and ask folks how they're doing. And again, whether you're black or white, you're really um, potentially struggling through this moment right now in so many different ways. And I think even just taking those few seconds to see how folks are doing and responding in a way that's meaningful, that's honest to you, is really special. You know, I walked into a room to a new admission this weekend and they were watching the news on television and we could have jumped right into their clinical presentation and what is the plan. But I did take those few moments to ask what was going on and how they were feeling. And I thought that that connection was powerful. And I took the time to speak to my resident team as well over this weekend to see how they needed me in terms of in this very moment. 
any of us can do that, not just because I'm Black. Do I feel like I have the right words for this moment? I think any of us can really have those powerful, difficult conversations, just as we would with a patient who's dying or with a family member who we're calling to share bad news. And so I hope that the training that we've been exquisitely prepared for, for moments like these can really come forth during these tough times. Uh, it makes so much sense. I mean, we take on these difficult conversations with our patients, but I think at times we are, you know, for many reasons, we're, we're nervous about having those same conversations with our colleagues or with our patients when it comes to race. And, and so, I, I mean, this podcast has been so inspiring for me, Dr. Essien. I just want to thank you so much. You so elegantly took us through an introduction to the discipline of health inequities and health disparities and really gave us tangible ways we can harness this knowledge to take better care of our patients and each other. You know, here at Run the List, we, we want to dedicate today's episode to George Floyd, Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and the countless others who have been tragically lost and impacted by structural racism in our society. So let's go ahead and take the lessons shared by Dr. Essien and go make a positive difference in our communities in any way we can. Let's be the leaders that society expects of us, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just next week, but all days. <laughs>